Welcome to the RPG Design Panelcast, presenting the very best panels, seminars, and other recordings about role-playing game design and publishing. These panels are made possible by the generous contributions of Double Exposure and their leading game design convention, Metatopia. Now to the show. Episode 67, Information Organization in RPGs. Recorded at Metatopia 2014. Presented by Brennan Taylor, Matt Wilson, Meredith Reitman, Krista White, and John Stravopoulos. Okay, everyone, this is going to be the best practices in organization, information organization for role-playing games. Anything else? Any other games? Just tabletop games. If you're not here for that, you can leave now. Like, got like 30 seconds. Okay, well, the tabletop board games, you know, that kind of counts. No, 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 stand up board games. Get out. You can stay. Bring your own. Okay, excellent. I'm going to close the door. <laughs> Welcome, everybody. Why don't you guys introduce yourselves? Let's start with you. Uh, I'm Krista White. I'm the co-founder of Galileo Games Incorporated. I am also the digital humanities librarian at Rutgers University in New York. I'm Brennan Taylor. I'm a game designer and the other co-founder of Galileo Games Incorporated. I also am the, one of the co-founders of Press Revolution, and I have written about six role-playing Seven would be better. It would. Uh, it, can I say that I have six that I thought about creating? <laughs> Are we doing that? Because then I got about like first. <laughs> can I say seeds? Hi, <laughs> <laughs> my name's Matt Wilson. I'm the guy in the middle here, if you can't tell. Um, I wrote and designed Primetime Adventures, and that's kind of it. I don't work anywhere works. either, so if any of you are hiring in the company, I'm sorry, I won't say. <laughs> you have three versions of Primetime Adventures. Is that three games? I'm trying to help. <laughs> Just let it be what it is. Uh, I'm Meredith Reitman. I'm uh, Matt's wife and also the editor of Primetime Adventures, the newest one. Cool. So I think what we're going to do is I'm going to quickly ask each of you to tell me in 10 seconds or less why you are here. What excites you about this panel? 10 seconds or less. Oh, um, hey, my name is Walker, uh, and uh, I'm a searcher for uh, knowledge and mystery games. So uh, I'm looking for ways to organize that, basically. Uh, I'm Sarah, I'm here with Room 209, and there's so much flipping and character creation for a book, I want to get it a little more concisely organized. Hi, I'm Chris, and my rules can always be more organized. Hi, I'm Morgan, and uh, she told me about this panel, it sounded interesting, so that's why I'm here. Hi, I'm Amanda. I'm an RPG editor, and organizing the game book is like, always one of the biggest issues. I'm sure I've never gotten it right. No one has. 
Hi, Beth and part of the team where we're designing a second card RPG that's going to be geared to different game mechanics. So getting the rule system right, I mean getting the information right is going to be crucial. Hi, I'm Brian from Toonline and um, uh, I'm trying to get it right. Breakwaters from 209, I'm the editor and game designer, so I'm really trying to make sure he gets it all the way. Is all of 209 here? I feel like we're yeah, going to be. Yeah, yeah. Hi, I'm Matt. I showed up late. Looking for these with beards. Um, just about. Well, I mean, all the dudes. All the dudes why are you here, buddy? Oh, I'm sorry, only seconds. Moving on. Now, I'm, I'm a freelance editor and layout person, so I'm trying to get it right. Awesome. Uh, my name is Rod, and I'm just looking at doing some RPG writing and that, and wanting to get it, wanting to get it right. <laughs> We're trying to. So basically, we have to get it right. We're going to keep going. Well, no pressure on us, I guess. Is it too late for me to leave? I'm Amber, and uh, I just, I'm an aspiring designer, I guess, and I have want to get it right, but I also find this really interesting just explain how people decide to organize stuff. Hi, I'm Tim. I'm here to troll and learn. Was <laughs> 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 they exclusive or do they work together? Troll and learn. In that order of importance? Yes, in that order of importance. Hi, I'm Kat. I'm currently writing my first game, so it's a lot of trying to work out. Hi, I'm Josh. Uh, I'm an RPG editor, and I think that means that Amanda and I have to engage in Mortal Kombat. Um, <laughs> You're so outmatched. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really am. <laughs> um, and uh, I know a decent amount about words, but not a lot about all of the other aspects of organization. So. Hi, I'm also Josh, uh, and I much know that it's never going to be right, so I'm trying to do better. Yeah. I'm PK, and I'm here because the way information is organized and presented is really interesting, and what is wrong is really, really bothers me. I think most of the people here are here because Matt Wilson is, but no one wanted to say that. <laughs> well, not anyone else, it's just Matt. <laughs> you that's not no, I'm not here. No, you were invited. <laughs> <laughs> do you guys want to do questions at the end? Yeah, I think so. Okay, so we'll like say what? Ten? Yeah. So we'll do 10, 15 minutes at the end for questions. Um, okay, so um, I kind of wanted to do this panel because um, there's a, a framework that I've noticed in RPGs um, where the, the current design style is to write an RPG, a tabletop RPG, as a let's play, which is a great way to do it. I mean, the point is you want people to be able to play your game. And so to, taking, to take them through it step by step is an excellent way to arrange the information so that people can play. The problem is, once people become familiar with how to play the game, the let's play format is a barrier to the long tail of the RPG book as a reference material. Um, because you're, you're doing something that um, 
a librarian named Bates came up with this um, paradigm for information-seeking behavior. And she was looking at information-seeking behavior um, on the internet, but I think this is true uh, of folks who are looking at RPG rules. She called this behavior berry-picking, where you go, like it's like you're picking berries in a field. You go where the berries are, and you pick what you need, and then you go to a different bush when you pick, and you, you wander around, and by the time you're done, you don't know where you started, right? So there's not a logical trail from how you got to one place to another. And so um, when you're in the middle of playing a game, somebody says, oh, I don't remember that rule for what the, how you do a refresh in fate. And so you go and look it up. And how many of us, show of hands in the room, have spent 20 minutes looking up a rule they couldn't remember in the middle of play? Uh-huh. Okay. So <laughs> it's, a, it's a common problem. Um, and, and again, like I said, you, having a let's play is an excellent technique for getting people to play your game. So what you also have to do while you're creating that let's play is think about the long tail. Think about what's going to happen afterwards and how people are going to use the book. And there are things that you can do. And I think the thing that I recommend most highly is a really good index. And automatic indexing is not <coughs> your friend. So a uh, quick show of hands. How many people have played an RPG that did not have an index? OK, don't do that. <laughs> I know. I think that's like one of the, the most common and probably cardinal sins of information organization in RPGs is the indexes. Some people think that they're optional, and a lot of times that is a serious detriment to when you're actually when you've got it at the table. So. Well, and and the, the the difference with in creating um, a reference book. And in creating a Let's Play book, is a Let's Play has to necessarily be very granular and step-by-step. Step. John, you were saying in some of the emails that, that we were um, shooting back and forth that one of the things that people often don't understand about um, an instructional text is that sometimes you have to get, like, it doesn't actually take five steps. You need to explicate 20 to make something very clear sometimes. So you have to get... down there um, to explicate the number of steps. But when you're creating an index, you have to back off and kind of have a meta view. It's like you're looking at it from a further distance. So a Let's Play is a close reading of your game system, and an index is a distant reading of your index. Um, and I think another thing that about indexing in particular, my hobby horses indexing, in case you hadn't noticed. Um, another thing about indexing that's super important is not just do um, keyword indexing, but also do conceptual indexing, right? So you're not just looking for the key terms in the controlled vocabulary of your game, which are the special the controlled vocabulary of specialized terms that you're using. In fate, some of those terms would be aspects, fate points. Um, concessions, you know, those are all specialized terms that you're using throughout the text. But it's also 
grouping those things together um, in a conceptual way and also planning for synonyms. Okay? So you don't just want the word hit points, you also want the word injury or damage with pointers toward the pages with the specific term that are relevant. Um, so uh, you're, uh, you're talking a lot about the reference portion of the yes, yeah. uh, and how a lot of games don't do that well. And they also argue that a lot of games don't do the let's play part well either. Yes. And I think that's when you guys were redoing Time Time Adventures, that's something you guys were thinking about, right? Like if someone's running this for the first time, running any game for the first time, what would you use for them? So I'll, I'll just uh, sort of give a little, thank you, John. I'll just give a little uh, personal story so you understand. I'm not a gamer. Um, I have been married to one for a long time. Um, I've enjoyed marriage to a gamer. Um, but so, <laughs> I know, it's, it's a mixed marriage. It's a different panel, guys. So PTA, the first version came out 10 years ago. Um, and I was I only played it once and enjoyed it, but didn't really play it after that. And then when he did the Kickstarter to do a new version of, of PTA, I got much more involved this time for some reason um, and really wanted to make sure that uh, my friends could play it, my family could play it, um, and none of them are gamers. So, um, and I had an upcoming family reunion that was going to be excruciating, and I thought it would be great if I could play PTA with them for a significant amount of time of that reunion. <laughs> it seemed an excellent opportunity. So, uh, the first thing I did, well, Matt and I had been working on it for a while. He had all these great new ideas, and, and um, we were brainstorming that. But then I took whatever version it was in, and I took it to down to Hobart Beach, Delaware, and I played it with my... Um, my brother-in-law, who's about my age, uh, my college-age niece, my college-age nephew, and my five-year-old niece. So that's who's in this game. Um, and there were all of my sort of various family were sort of sitting around half-listening. Um, my sister decided not to play because she knew that she would ruin it. <laughs> she likes to pick on me, so she knew that she would be a, a pest. Um, so, but the, the learning here was that I just started reading it to them because I was thinking about how I and I've never I haven't played the new version and I certainly haven't learned the old version and I haven't played any other role playing games. So I just opened the book and I started reading it to them because that's how I play games, right? Any games that I have on our shelf, I'll just start reading the rules and to everybody and all sort of agree is what they are. Um, and in doing that, I noticed some things about how the people at the table were responding. Um, they would take notes, they would come up with ideas for down the road. I noticed what I was reading and what I was skipping, and I was making notes of that. Um, and and then when they all did their uh, initial character sheet, I guess, though PTA is kind of light on that, um, I gathered all of those and we used those to inform how we would structure the next version of PTA as well. And then Matt kindly, when I got home, we didn't get very far with that group. Um, we only played for like an hour, and then when I got home, Matt and I Matt kindly acted out two other players so that we would be four players, um, which were my stuffed animals. And the, um, <laughs> we figured out. <laughs> sorry, I'm not level. I'm not, I'm, my first gaming convention, so I don't really know like what level of personal to share. Um, <laughs> so uh, we we again went through and figured out um, what what needed what what needed to be explained in the moment and what could go back for further information farther in the book. So up front was meant to be read out to the group. 
Um, and then if there was anything really complicated, what we started doing was a lot of, and I'm glad that Krista brought up um, visual representations, because um, that, that was really, really helpful. We came up with some really cool diagrams uh, to show the show how play happens and to how to conceptualize acts within PTA. How many of you guys have played PTA? Okay. So it's, you make up a TV show, um, which is one of the reasons it's really accessible to non-gamers like me, because I watch a lot of TV. Um, and yeah, I think I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, where do I start? So, um, I guess sort of between sort of the, the two camps. Obviously, I'm kind of invested in the game that we're working on and how to get it out. I, my my thoughts on it from that compared to sort of like a more traditional style game is that you know different approaches to information organization are going to matter depending on what kind of game you have. Like, I, who's who's playing Dungeons Dragons? <laughs> I sort of guess right. So, like the, the old Red Box had that like. Read the story of how to play, you know, and it's like you have that story of the guy in the early 80s to go to play that game. Remember the Red Box? There's a little story that you read about the guy, but that was still like 15 pages, right? Because the game is pretty complicated, and Prime Adventures has like five rules, so it's easier to do a let's play kind of approach for that kind of game than it would be for a game like you know, the DB that just came out, where you've got a chapter that was just. You have good spells that you have to choose from, so you know. The, I'm not up here necessarily advocating one kind of organization versus another. I just want to talk about you know what we did and why. Great. Is this working on the other? And so I think to elaborate on that is yeah, your information organization depends a lot on your content, and you have five rules. You has I don't even know how many. Right, but the way that you choose to present it needs to be accessible, and you need to kind of anticipate audience an audience that is not familiar with your rules, and that's really the value I think that Meredith brought into what uh, Matt was doing. Because having a non-role player look at his stuff, I think is uh, I, I don't think anybody has ever I, I've never had that with any of my games. No, no non-role players have ever really looked deeply at mine. Yeah. <laughs> Great. <laughs> the people that like the, the people here from room two and nine, like you're gonna get that right? I'm just gonna use you because like there are like twelve of you. The games that you're working on, are you uh, are you thinking about marketing to non gamers or are you mostly thinking about people who are already gamers? Oh, uh, we are considering marketing to non gamers. We're actually trying to design it in such a way that it provides advice on how to run the game more so than just here are the straight rules, like providing theory and that sort of thing as to why the rules are what they are. So to, to, to build on that, like I guess I have two thoughts on that. One is that you know if you are marketing to a traditional game or you have designing your book to look like all the other books out there is kind of an advantage in a way because people sort of know, oh, she's in the back, right? Because that's where I was in. It's sort of like building a website. If you radically change the design, you're going to confuse people. Whereas if you put the menu across the top, everybody knows that that's what the menu is on the website. So you can make your game easier by making it look like everybody else's game. And you know, the, the uniqueness of the game is not necessarily what's on what page. It's like, well, how the rules come out. So, but, so the other thing was that Having somebody who does not play role can you look at my book 
the number of things that I assumed made sense was that were not actually making sense to somebody who's not a gamer was a really, really long list. That came up not very eloquently, but if, if you're thinking about marketing people who haven't played before and getting in front of people who know zero about it, might be a little discouraging when you get the feedback that you get, but it will be hugely informative. Like I was kind of blown away by by what I learned. So I want to add uh, two things that kind of tie together uh, what we were talking about at the beginning, which was references and in terms of how to play information. So a lot of this depends on context, right? Context is highly important. So uh, let me give an example using the two sides, right? So effectively, what you guys did was uh, a lot of people when they write their rules or their text, uh, they just start writing it, right? They're like, oh, I, I designed it, uh, here's my introduction, and you know, like, make characters, and like, the GM stuff is later on, if there's a GM and you're organizing stuff, and, uh, but, you know, you might need that stuff before you start playing, so like, that order already might be completely wrong. Uh, so what you guys effectively did is, when you actually sit down to run this, what is the thing you're doing step by step. What are you literally doing? And I know, uh, so a lot of what we're dealing with is role-playing games, but I know in board games, they have this much more nailed down. And one of the ways that they have it nailed down, I mean, they have the advantage that often the rules are much smaller, right? So they're like maybe 10 pages versus like 300. Um, but what they do in board games is they record people running those games, right? They'll like, you know, with a, with a video camera or just even the audio would be just fine. And they're like, what was the order in which you actually said those things? What questions came up, right? Like, did you say, okay, we're going to do this part? And everyone's like, okay, well, I, I don't even know what that part is, so how could they even make a decision about what I'm even going to do with that, right? So context matters. And uh, one great way is to actually report it, right? Get outside of yourself, get an objective viewpoint, and then study that. Now, in terms of, like, reference, right, one of the things that you called out is you can have an index, but how useful is that index, right? What is that index actually doing for you? So if it's a list of keywords, that's cool if you know what you're looking for, right? But if you're looking for, like, hit points, but I don't have never played this game before, so I think of the damage, or it's this other thing, if you keep in mind the context, when someone uses this index, what would they, what would they be looking for? What, how would they be thinking about this? How would they search for this? How can they anticipate this and provide for that? Basically, anticipating information and thinking behavior on, your, on the part of your user. Which means knowing your audience. And, and one of the things I want to call out about Matt and Meredith, your approach, is that it's an awesome approach. And I think it ties in very closely with what John's talking about. If you're planning to market to first-time tabletop players, think about... Uh, this would be an experiment, so please take this with a grain of salt. But this is what I've been thinking about as I've been thinking about this panel. Talk, you know, do something like the, the Fate Accelerated rules, which are basically like board game rules. And what, when I'm, when I'm learning to GM a game, um, I don't have time to read the rule book cover to cover. I, you know, as a, as a busy adult with a family and a full-time job, I don't have the time to sit and, and do that. And I find um, in a lot of the information organization of these books, 
some of the crucial information is buried within the text of the rules. So try and treat it as much as you can, like board game rules. What I would love to see in a tabletop role-playing game is character sheet. Eight o'clock, day one, boom, it's right there. And then you organize the information in the how to play according to where it is on the character sheet and what you're supposed to do. And if the first thing you need to do isn't at the top of your character sheet, ask yourself why and either adjust the, the order of the information or adjust the character sheet layout, right? That's exactly what we ended up doing. We made sure that the flow of the character sheet matched the flow of the text. I also, I don't know if I made this clear that we were trying to make PTAs that not only non-gamers could play it, but non-gamers could pick it up and be the producer, the GM. So, so you do you, you do no prep as the GM for PTA. The conundrum that I always ran into, I don't know whether it's solvable, but there's a timeline for the use of a book, right? The setting up for the first time you play it, and then in the middle when you've been playing it a while, you usually use it as a reference. So, typical RPG book has character creation at the beginning, and then they probably have combat, or their character creation, and then skills, and then combat, because it's the way you sort of enter the game system. But that's useless by section four. Because you're not doing character creation every week. You're doing skills and combat, right? And so, you know, the, the conundrum there is the book has a certain life to it as a reference, which goes, in my mind, even beyond the index, right? It's just the way that, because, I mean, indexes, I love indexes, but I don't go to the index. I go to the section in the rules where I think the thing will be found first, right? So I'm just saying, this is a naughty problem. There's no question. I'm not asking, it's just like a naughty problem. Yeah, it definitely is, and one that, you know, obviously requires a lot of thinking about and a lot of planning. One of the things that I did do in uh, this game, Mortal Coil, was I took a tip from uh, textbooks, and uh, at the end of each chapter, there is a uh, there's a summary that is a bullet point list of all of the important points that you find in the chapter. Um, and basically, the diagrams. Yeah, diagrams. There are also diagrams in this book. Um, the the thing that I that I was trying to do with that though is that you know again we're getting at this now. Once I'm playing, I need reference, and so having those bullet points at the end that summarize all the points in the chapter, they do two things. One, I finish reading the chapter, I've got a bullet point summary, so now I can uh, refresh my knowledge of what I just read for my first read through, but also it's there as a reference for later when someone else, it, when, you, when you're going back during play and trying to find rules. Now, I'm not gonna say I did it perfectly in here, because I didn't, because there's sometimes when I'm running this, when I'm trying to find the rule and I go to the bullet point summary and, it's in the, and I'm looking in the wrong chapter, so uh, there may be a, an easier way to organize it. That's what my excellent index ranking is for. True. Can you, can you clarify the role of an index versus a table of contents? Because Matt and I were just, Matt was 
like he put me on the job of creating an index, and as I was trying to look into the world of indices, which is very, very complicated. Because I don't want to make an index. He doesn't <laughs> So, but then I, as I was looking at it, I thought maybe because because it is you know PTA is rules light, so I'm 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 wondering if we can just have a table of contents. Yeah, you can talk about that, but I your point is well taken that it's a naughty problem, and there are the index versus you know, let's play, so the index balances out the let's play aspect is one way to handle it if you don't want to lay out multiple books. Now, you could do a version that's a let's play version and then have another version that's a reference version, right? And that's an option, but that's double the layout, that's double the, la the labor, right? People have to buy two books, so, um, you know, especially if you're going to do a let's play in the style of a board game where things are minimal and you're going to have a character sheet up front, that might be a nice, like, free PDF um, that wouldn't necessarily have all the iterations of the rules, but it would get things started. And then that would come with the reference material. That's an idea. But again, I think it's double the layout, double the labor. Yeah, so it's a choice. Matt? Oh, I was just going to add it. So one thing we did in Prime Adventures, and this is obviously the, the less complicated version of that, is uh, you know, we, we have little diagrams. So like when you, when you play the game, you spin the scenes, right? Like a TV show has scenes. So we have sort of a flow chart of what happens during a scene. And so step one is this. But each of those steps in the diagram has a little pink number. So it's kind of like a visual high-level index. So for me, I mean, I do the same thing. I, you know, when we used to be like looking at words in the training grade school, I would kind of flip along. And it's somewhere in the R's, and I never used that little gadget up in the right-hand corner because I'm stupid. But I do that with role-playing games, too. It's like, I know it's kind of around that page that has the picture of the guy with the hat, you know, and I know it's around there somewhere because it's hard to remember information. So I like anything that helps me kind of visually connect with what's in the book. Not every solution is going to work for anybody else because I'm weird. I had a question about indexing. So I have a background in making taxonomies for websites. Right. So I love indexing. And you say make them. It's like, oh, yeah. But um, when you come down to actually putting it in a book as compared to the infinite web, what are your recommendations for synonyms per book size or you know, for, for type of information? Uh, I think I think you again have to think about who your users are going to be. Um, and although the official rule is no limit on the number of synonyms, this is reality grade. So you need to decide, right? And anywhere where I would say that anywhere there's a specialized term that is an overarching concept in the game, use. Use the number of synonyms, maybe two or three that you think are appropriate, like damage, injury, harm, hit points, you know, and, and have them all point to the term of art that's in the game, right? Um, again, it depends on your audience. Like, for me, I don't memorize the specialized vocabulary of every game. It takes me many years of playing to, like, get all of that down in my head. And, and one of the things I, I like to see um, 
are those synonyms in the index? Because I might not remember what a concession is, but I know it has something to do with giving up in the, you know, in the fate core system. So if you put giving up in there, then you know you pointed at concessions, and away you go. Yeah, let's start questions. So, uh, give me a sense of how many questions there are. Raise your hands if you have questions. I know there's more questions than this. Two, three. Well, I know we can get four. Someone's got to have questions. Okay, you guys have four. Oh, four. I saw four. So, uh, actually, we're going to start with four. And then the guy, and then he said his hand. Go for it. I was thinking as as you were uh, describing the uh, the use of the book and how uh, character creation is usually in the front, and then you've got like skills and comment and all that. Has there ever been any kind of statistical analysis of what portions of the book people more naturally flip to? Like, for instance, do they more naturally flip to the middle of the book? Do they more naturally flip to the back? Because I was wondering, that could be a place where we put the more vital information. Well, I would say uh, if, if this is the role-playing industry, so I uh, doubt anyone's done a statistical analysis of just about anything. Yeah. <laughs> 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 uh, they've done it for magazines, right? So right, yeah. Magazines, they do it as, as the middle of the book tends to be because the way the spine is and everything. That's why they have a chunk of the adverb in the book, right? Right. They're, they're, that's, also, that's what they care about. Uh, so yeah, that technically that would be the case. Of course, it might depend on how many pages, right? But then it becomes a question of like, what's true for the first session may not be true for later sessions. Right. So in some ways, you might want to look at who your audience is. So if you have like a player, who let's say is it, is it something where people are going to be playing as a cons, they're going to be playing at home, is this for a certain people a certain age? Watch how they play other games, right? That, that's kind of like a, a small form of analysis. Look at actually. Similar to the playing, study how they're playing it over uh, multiple sessions, right? If it's a multiple session And, you know, maybe you'll find out that the way the book should be structured is the first session, the first time you play, second time you play, from now on, right? And maybe those are the chapters instead of combat or blah, 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 right? It just depends. There's no one specific way to do something. It depends on what your goal is and who your audience is. Right, and like like all kinds of user experience design, the problem is that you know there are a lot of different kinds of users, and you really got to know who your audience is so that you can tailor what you're doing towards those users that uh, that you expect to be in your audience. Now, you might also be wrong, which is difficult. But if you find that out later, you can you know you can try to correct it in a future edition or something. But uh, as far as like flipping things open, I I mean. The comment that was made earlier is absolutely true. That there, and you were mentioning this as well. There's a sort of a traditional way in which role-playing books are designed, and anybody who is experienced with playing role-playing games is going to be doing a lookup based on where they expect in the book that information to fall. And so, if you're going to be varying from that traditional design of you know character creation, then skills, then combat, then uh, you know DM tips. Be careful because your users may expect to find those in the, in the, in the, in the traditional order, and if it's not in that traditional order, then they can get lost. And, and I've got lots of new users like you guys are aiming for. 
then that is that kind of goes out the window because they're not going to expect to find it anywhere in particular, right? So yeah. and if you and, and a safe thing that's true for pretty much any kind of like text, right? And, and you have multiple pages is if you want to specifically call attention to specific that someone's skimming, put the thing that you want to look at next to images that catch your eye, right? So it's like you're skimming, because even when you go to the bookstore, right, and you're like, oh, this is cool, you might read the first page or two in the back cover, but then you start flipping through the pages, and the things that catch your eye might be tables, they might be images, and, you know, people do this in food menus, right? Like, if you really want to get specific, you know, let's say it's a fantasy game, someone has a sword, right, and as they're pointing their sword, maybe their sword is pointing to that paragraph, that you really want them to see, right? So there's a lot of, there's a lot of tricks you can do. Well, and that, that is one of the purposes of art in a role-playing text is as a, as a um, basically a landmark, right? For people who are using it for reference, those pieces of art serve as landmarks because it helps people orient themselves within the book. I, I do have another thing uh, along the lines of what I wanted, what I would like to see. As somebody who when I'm learning to GM something, I'm flipping through and I'm writing notes how many of us do that, like we go and do our shorthand things. So when you're introducing rules, no matter where you've decided to put those, the name of the rule, I want to see the name of the rule, I want to see a definition up front. Don't tell me the background of why the definition is there. Tell me what it's for, why that rule is there. Then tell me what other rules depend on that rule and what other rules that rule depends on. Like right there at the top. And then have your explanatory paragraph. Right? That's like all of the essential information right there. Now that's going to be useful for people who are experienced role players. They may not be experienced for your game, but they're experienced role players and what they're trying to do is skim the pertinent information right out. That is, that may or may not be as useful for new players. It may look intimidating to new players, but it also may be like, be a signifier to the, to the new players that, hey, that's what this section is about, and these are the other things that I can right. expect to connect to this. Well, and, right? and a friendlier way, yeah. I mean, a, a way to present that in a friendly way is to call that that reference section out in a different way so that people who are reading the book as a deep read know that they can kind of skip over that. Like that that, that is like all like bulleted or summary type information, right? So that it's set off from the See I look at it differently, but I think that's a difference in our approach to how we deal with role playing games. And that's the other thing. Like I just had this management training so my head is full of this like management model thing. And so he approaches things very differently than I do. And you're going to get that variation between individuals right. who are looking Again, at your user, game, right? user experience. So right. yeah. the, the thing that I think is also important is if, if it's a very important rule, uh, there's, there's, there's two things. One is set it out, right? Call it out. Uh, put something, a box around it. Put it a big bullet next to it. You know, highlight that rule in your text if it's something that is essential. And if it is essential, Mention it more than once in the game. Things that are mentioned once are super hard to find sometimes. Right? And having a reference sheet, right? You guys were talking about. Right. Reference sheets are great, but you know, 
I miss things on reference sheets sometimes that are important. So, yeah. yeah you know. it's, a, it's like called out multiple times in places that you exactly. expect someone to look. I would add to you that, uh, you know, just like it depends on your audience, it depends on your game. So if your game is 50 pages versus 300 pages, there might be some variations to your approaches, for example. Like if you look at D&D, uh, you could actually run a lot of, depending on the edition, you could run a lot of D&D with like about 30 pages of the 300 plus page of book, right? Because a lot of them are spells and equipment and all these things are like lists and, or very detailed topics that you would, zero, you would zoom in on as needed. So when someone first opens that book though, they don't see that. They just see, holy shit, 300 pages. I guess I'll start reading this and they skip around and list things. So, like, one thing you do, and this is referencing what you guys are talking about, is at the very beginning of the book, if you know that reading these specific 20 pages is essential and the rest is optional, call that out up front. Like, just tell people how to use the book, right? Like, what a different order on those pages specifically. Yeah. Something, you know, it really could not, don't just call it out technically, call it out visually. Yeah. Marvel is a roller really did, I think, an excellent job with those kind of visual cues about what about at least the sections of the book, right? Because they were different colors. Um, the problem with that is usually for that sort of thing, you need full bleed or full color, which is expensive when you're actually printing a book. I do want to add an addendum to what Brennan said. Absolutely call that important stuff out in the middle of the text, but please, please, for the love of all that is holy, do not put important rules in a sidebar. Okay? Sidebars, yeah, are generally... If people view sidebars as optional information or additional information, not essential information. Same with examples, right? right. Like yes. people skip through examples. The if it's in the text, they know, okay, cool, I can fix that later. And if that's where you have your essential rules. Right. Uh, so let's get more questions. So uh, actually, uh, um, one really quick question, one that might take a little longer. Let's go with Indexing. When you do the synonyms, are you referring them to the page that the actual concept is on, or do you refer to the instrumentation index as the actual name? So I would refer it to the term of art in the index, okay. right? So harm, C, hit points. points, right? And yeah. It's okay. a way to train people, train users of the book what the actual correct term is in of art is in the game. And Another thing that's was tangential, but a hobby horse of mine, don't change terms of art. We have a lot of terms of art in role-playing games. Don't change them if you can help it. People need familiar things to help them orient themselves to stuff that is new. Coming up with new names for things that already exist is distracting for people. What was your detailed question? We'll see what we can do. Um, just unless you're you're a new player, and then using a word like producer instead of game master is actually better. Right. Uh, yes, <laughs> but again, it, it is difficult for people who are who are already familiar with certain things. Like one of the things that happened to me, like with the latest fake book, one of my writers wanted to change the name of fake points, and I'm like, you don't change the name of fake points in fake game. Right. Everybody already knows what that is. <laughs> and, and, and fate, well, so the context matters, right? So you're talking about fate. Fate has an established market, right? An established audience. Like you know, if you make a fate game, you're going to tap a certain number of thousand players, right? Cool. Yeah. And so, like, why would you mess with that? I'll qualify my statement. Don't change a term of art unless you have a really, really good reason for it. <laughs> <laughs> So, 
marginally, if you have a clear margin that doesn't have like a bracket border around it, how do you feel about, say, like we're talking about combat and um, it's referencing, you know, make a two hit roll, blah, 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 and the margin it says two hit roll in page 37. That's fine, because you're making a reference there, mm -hmm. but as long as it's also in, in whatever, the in, the, in yeah. the index, if you're going to have a, a, a robust index, that's right? right? I think that's perfectly fine, because there is more than one place to find that information. I mean, there's a Marvel heroic book that I was desperately looking for a rule in, and they had put it one place in a sidebar. Um, and it took me like two hours to find it. So while I was playing the game, I couldn't let it go, right? And I'm looking around for this move, right? So and and so that's why I'm like. So so it'd be interesting because in some ways we have like games that are meant for like people who already who already play role playing games, right. and we have games that are meant for people who may have never played role playing games before. And we might have slightly different approaches, right? So uh, just to make it clear, but I could be wrong. Uh, is when you mentioned marginalia, you're mentioning like we're talking about a rule and it may have to be describing details somewhere else. So we're saying we're just calling that out. Like you can go here for that. Is there an example of that and what you guys do? Like, so you're, if you're like going through the text, it might say, here's what the producer uses tokens for, right? Is there, is there any callback as far as like how that works? Well, most, I can't, not knowing in more detail than I do, but. Um, the most we do is for more information yeah. because we do um, episodes are quite complex and they have levels and levels and levels. So we just have the nice diagram up front and then we say for more information and then put that stuff in the back. But I don't think we have so many rules that we're referring yeah. to rules elsewhere in the book. But for, for more information sounds perfect, right? Yeah. So the, the context might be a little bit different because it's a different audience, but it's a similar idea. So that's awesome. Cool. So uh, more questions. Uh, raise your hand and then we'll. Okay, so uh, let's go. Either as designers or as players, have you come across anything that you, that either you felt was a huge mistake or the calculator information, or that you looked at and said, oh my god, why did you think this? Like, what's the biggest no-no you've ever had? So let's get an answer for each of you, right? So, like, what's one big mistake you've seen, right? Matt, let's start with you. No pressure. In your own game and other games? So the skateboard will You can pick on me, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, whoever has an idea, I'll find you Sure. Um, when I was playing Fear of the Century, which is one of the early iterations of Fate, they had uh, skill rules for players and skin. Each of the skills was broken out, and there was a list of how it worked that was oriented at players, and there was a list of how it worked that was oriented at DMs. When I was running the game, both of those sets of information were vital to me, and they were in completely different sections of the book. It was exceptionally difficult for me to go back and forth from those. So um, they have, in fact, corrected that in future editions, but that, I think, was a, that was a mistake. For me, um, burying the rule in a big long block of text. Um, I love the Dresden files, but there are rules where there's a lot of explication because they're trying to get across how that rule applies to simulating the world of Harry Dresden, and the rule is 
you have to read a giant paragraph. And so I want the rule and then the paragraph, right? So in primetime ventures, for example, what was it, uh, like what was something that you changed, right, from the existing text to the new text where you're like, wow, this makes it significantly easier to reference or learn from Cyberphilia or anything like that? Um, I, I And I think just knowing that and knowing he's a really excellent writer, right? And he really likes to sort of get into the nitty-gritty of things. And I think he would get excited about an idea and he'd just want to explain, 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 right? But And I'm reading it. I, you know, I enjoy his writing, but I just don't read that stuff yet. And I, yeah, it gets a little tangential sometimes. So it's just a matter of... I did it with love. It's just a matter of, <laughs> of just, you know, getting it out and then moving it. Getting it out and then moving it. Awesome. So we have 10 minutes and we're going to go through this. So good okay, one of my questions, you guys keep talking about who your reader is. I don't know that I've worked on the role-playing game yet that didn't want to appeal both to established gamers and to people who have never played role-playing game. How do you do that? I think we failed every time. the impossible dream! <laughs> <laughs> when you have to make choices, right? It's just, you know, it's making choices. A bit of a I, I mean, some games, what they do is, so we were talking about at the beginning, where there's like a reference that says, hey, you're, you just got this new edition of D&D, right? And uh, you only really need these 24 pages to get started. I've seen people say, hey, in this new, if you're a, a person who's played previous editions, yeah. here are things we're calling out that are completely different in this new edition. Yeah, or if you're, like yeah. and if you're an experienced gamer, you already are familiar with the following concepts. Feel free to skip to chapter. Right, and I will also say there are a lot of non-gamers out there. Which ones are you trying to appeal to with your game? Like that—that that will make a big difference, right? right. Because primetime adventures. You guys actually put a big task ahead of yourselves because you're like people who like TV, which is almost everybody. <laughs> <laughs> However, yeah, Firefly fans, that's a subset of people. You might also know an awful lot about their interests and what kinds of things they've been exposed to before. Yes. Uh, Marvel Comics readers, what, who are those people? What kinds of things? So narrow yourself down. When you say, oh, we want to appeal to non-gamers, say, Figure out which non-gamers and try to start figuring out from there how to present information to those people. Right? And you always felt like the introductions were both condescending to, to current gamers and alienating to new gamers. Right. So that's why, yeah, that's why I'm like, character sheet, 8 o'clock, day <laughs> one. You know, if they picked it up, they're interested. They're interested yeah. somehow. So, and I think too, um, I had something in mind to say, but... Um, well, let's come back to it. Yeah. We've got like yeah, five yeah, more minutes. questions. I'll raise your hand, because I want to get everyone. Uh, I wanted to know if you guys have like games that you think of exceptionally well laid out for their purpose, and why. Um, I think Marvel Heroic is an excellent, excellent, excellent 
let's play um, this mortal coil does an excellent job of splitting the difference between the reference text and the um, the let's play. Um, I don't I don't want to say you can say that the new version of JCore is very very readable, uh, and they did a really nice job with the layout of keeping things. Uh, well organized, the, the, there's not too much information on a single page, and the important stuff is called out really nicely in it. Um, kind of think of a good game to have the next one. I mean, I, I would add, and this is not a role playing game, uh, and it's much simpler, but you can see the structure of it, uh, is the board game pandemic. If you look yes. at the rules for that, it's like, here's what you're going to do in this game, here's how you win, here's how you lose, here's how you start, here's the setup. Here's round one. Here are subsequent rounds. And you can look through that and then expand. Uh, what's cool about uh, board game uh, rules is they tend to be free online. So you can download those board game rules, scan them, and get inspiration. And they do some really wonderful things with layout and color and board game games these days. Which you can start to do role-playing games as like that technology has. So can I offer one comment on board game rules? Because they have exactly the same kinds of problems you need the here, let's walk through how to play this game, but also the the reference material, which does not work in the same fashion. Um, one interesting thing that's been kind of coming up as a, a, as, as a solution is to have two rule books. Right. And with board games, that's you know yeah. a very small thing. Just like she was talking about. Yeah. Except that with role playing games, that is more of a. It is a, yeah, it's a significant investment of capital. Yeah. But one thing board games do uh, as well, which you can do, uh, you can add to it in existing books, are things like frequently asked questions, right? Like, yes. as you're playtesting the game, which questions keep coming up and keep coming up? Well, and that can help you uh, craft your information organization as well. Okay, so we keep coming back to the difference between the, uh, the teaching text and the reference text. Um, and something I've been thinking about, and I want to know if anybody else has had thoughts on these ideas. What if we use technology? Because the current way of producing a digital game book is to take the PDF of the physical product and make it available. But what if there was a um, more nonlinear, almost wiki sort of reference text as your digital product to go along with? Yeah. The, the physical book. The, the archival profession does something called funding aids, and I think those could be, uh, like, first of all, open source. You're not cutting in on the selling power. If you create an online finding aid, you're creating a reference document. The lovely part about it being online is that you can ban crowdsource it. So your capital is way low. Um, but you need to have somebody who's going to look that stuff over because you need quality control on that. Um, and so I think, I mean, I was thinking, great minds think alike. I was thinking along those same lines. I think that's a really elegant way to deal, especially with theme books that have already been published that are not working as well as reference documents. That's a way to kind of bring the reference part back in, is to have everybody who's still invested in the game contribute and make it a better reference document. Right. My idea um, was yeah. something along the lines of um, a self-contained app for your phone or tablet right. that is essentially just the game. Which would be useful. And I also think that, you know, like, uh, 
having a specific reference section in your RPG is useful. Uh, you know, people do that a little bit right now. There's sort of a reference sheet in the back sometimes, but I think a little more robust. I, honestly, the problem you end up running into is all this stuff takes extra time. Right. right. And that's that's always something that can be difficult. But if you're really trying to do it right, you know, having a plan before you have an attack before you join it and knowing that you're going to be creating almost two versions of the rules. Clearly, we don't have the tablets either. No, right. we can optimize the tablets and just click on a quick reporter instead of a bunch of games that we never use. Yeah. Or even even an iPad version for his game, Eva, where he added kind of a little, almost like a like a web nav bar on the bottom with all the main chapter headings. Because <coughs> you know, when you're on a tablet and you want to put on a book, you just have to look, and then you can just come on where you have to be like, try to use that side scroll bar and it jumps around and you can't find it. Those little buttons take up a ton of time. And maybe and you know, if you have like a term, you click on it and a little window will pop up with all the other places in the text that are relevant to that particular rule. So that's an great